Blessed is everyone who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Good to see you all this morning. Good to be here again. Um, I want to start this morning by asking, how happy are you? How happy are you with life? (laughs) There are a lot of happy people in here, actually. Um, If you're not sure, I've got something that can help. I looked on the internet this week. There's a thing called the Oxford Happiness Test that you can find on the internet. It's uh, 30 statements or questions which you respond to on a scale of 1 to 6, um, depending on how strongly you disagree with things or strongly agree with things. Uh, and then it tells you at the end, it gives you what your score is out of 6, whether you are 1 very, very unhappy or 6 very, very happy with life. Um, and it gives you steps then about how you can increase your happiness in life. Things that you can do to try and improve that score. That's what the world says a blessed and happy life looks like. Here's some of the questions that are asked in it. Questions centered around our interest in other people, our outlook for the future, our degree of satisfaction with the goals that we have in life, our sense of meaning and purpose in life, the material things that we have in life, relationships that we have, all the things that the world says give you true and lasting happiness in life. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 128, a brilliant psalm, an amazing psalm of praise, a triumph. That's what the psalm is, a psalm of triumph. And... It's the Bible's answer to that question of where do I find true and lasting happiness in life? It's the Bible's happiness test because the key word of Psalm 128 is blessed or blessed. It's used four times throughout the psalm. And to understand what the psalmist who's writing this means by blessed, there are two different words that are used. Verses 1 and 2, they use a word for blessed, which means happy. Really happy, happy. Double happiness, almost. Speaks of fulfillment, contentment, happiness in life. And then verses 4 and 5, they use another word for blessed, which speaks more about the favor of God. The focus is on God's activity in blessing someone. A man can only truly be blessed and happy in life because of what God does. That's what the meaning of that word blessed is at the end of the psalm. And this is part of our Psalms of Ascent series. Psalms which were sung by the pilgrims or prayed by the pilgrims as they ascended to Jerusalem. As they went to the place which was where they met with God, Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, the temple there, which they, they met with him and they, that was where God dwelled with his people, where they, where they could praise and worship him. And in this psalm, we see where our ascent is to the place of worship with God. The place of true happiness in life is found in worshiping God. 
This is a wisdom psalm, just like 127, Psalm 127, because it builds off the themes that were introduced in Psalm 127, uh, and it imparts wisdom to the reader through these vivid pictures, through these um, short phrases that it uses. And it's important to remember that like the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, other wisdom literature in the Bible, these wisdom passages, they present wisdom to us rather than absolute promises. So that's so important to consider in this psalm because it gives us wisdom in our search for happiness and satisfaction and contentment in life. But it isn't a rubber stamp guarantee. We live in a fallen world, a broken world, where things don't always work out the way we would hope they do. But this psalm, it describes the general rule for finding happiness in life. It gives us wisdom to know what God says about where blessing is truly found in life and where blessing is experienced in life. The places in life where blessing is experienced. And that's where we're going to split it today. We're going to look at two things. Where blessing is found, according to the psalm, and where blessing is experienced, according to this psalm. So let's look at where blessing is found. And the psalmist spells it out pretty clearly in verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Blessing is found in life, in fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. That's the secret to finding happiness in life. Not one of the 30 questions in that Oxford happiness test asks anything to do with fearing the Lord. Nothing mentioned about God in it. It's not what the world would say, happiness is found, where happiness is found. It's maybe even for you this morning, as someone sitting here, as a, as a Christian even, you're wondering how can happiness be found in fearing something? This is where it's so important, our understanding of the fear of the Lord. What does it actually mean? What does the psalmist mean by the fear of the Lord? Well, to fear the Lord doesn't mean to be afraid of God so that you run away from him. No, it means to be in awe and wonder of God's majesty so that you approach him as he should be approached, with great reverence and respect. It means taking God seriously, treating God as he ought to be treated, knowing that he is the all-powerful, all-sustaining creator of this universe. And because of that, it's giving him the place in our lives which he is due, the place above everything else, Worshipping him by putting him right at the center of who we are. That's what it means to fear the Lord. But if you're anything like me, fear the Lord is not just something that I can conjure up within myself. I can't make myself fear the Lord. Fear the Lord comes from having a right view of who God is. Experiencing God in all of his wonder and majesty, all the power that he has, recognizing that. See, God is incomprehensible in so many ways, but through his word, by his spirit, through creation that we can see, we can understand, we can catch a glimpse of the majesty of God. We can see something of the wonder of the one who has created everything that exists in this world. And do you know the problem a lot of the time, for me anyway, don't know if this is like this for you, but I 
fail to have that fear of the Lord because my fear is in so many other things. My focus is in so many other things. I maybe focus on myself so much. I focus on the things that are going on in my life, the problems that I have, the challenges that I'm facing. And when I focus on those things, my view of myself, my view of those things becomes so big and my view of God becomes so small. The reality of who God really is, by his word, reading that, understanding who he is, it just gets pushed out, squeezed out by all these other things in life. And I struggle to have that fear of the Lord. I struggle to have that deep sense of wonder of who God is and what he has done in my life. Here's what Francis Chan says is the solution to this problem. The solution to our self-centeredness, our focus being on ourselves rather than on God. This is what he says. The solution to our self-centeredness is to stare at God. When we actually stare at him, everything else fades to its proper place. If we don't stare at God, we'll spend our time staring at lesser things, namely ourselves. And I wonder, when was the last time you stared at God? When was the last time that you fixed your gaze on him? You looked to him. You took time out of your day to stop from what you're doing, everything else that's going on around, and you lifted your eyes to him. Remember, this is a psalm of ascent. They're ascending the pilgrims to Jerusalem, looking to that point, looking to the place where they will spend time with God. And I wonder, for us, how often do we do that in our day, in my week? Look to God, fix my gaze on him. God's word helps us to do this. Creation helps us to do this too. I'm someone that I just love spending time out in creation. Whether it's a long walk, whether it's just gazing up at the stars. I was recently out with a, a group of friends um, and uh, we just were out in a field somewhere. It was in Balamina. Um, so it, there's not going um, to be the street lights in Belfast, but just stopping and gazing up at the stars, hardly a street light around, the wonder of seeing the universe there before you. And we can lose that sense of wonder. And, and there's a book called One Thing by Sam Storms, which I read recently, and it helps us to just take time to stare at God. Here's some of the things that Sam Storms, Sam Storms reminds us that God has created in this world. 75,000 miles of blood vessels in the body of a newborn baby. If I was to get onto a jet plane, traveling at 500 miles an hour, and I was to go to the moon, how long do you think it would take? Nearly three weeks. To the sun, 21 years. 500 miles an hour. To Pluto, the furthest planet in our solar system, 900 years. To the closest star to Earth, million years. How many stars in our galaxy? The Milky Way. Well, in Balamina, on a nice clear night out in that field, I could probably see with my naked eye about 4,000 stars in the sky. But in the Milky Way, there are between 150 and 200 billion stars. And we are just one galaxy among about 150 billion others in the universe. Think of it this way, the next time you go to the beach, reach down, take as much sand as you can in both hands, 
And if you were to take every single solitary grain of sand on every single beach and every square inch of this earth, you wouldn't equal the number of stars that there are in the galaxies. God made them all. More amazing still, he named them all. Because this is what it says in Psalm 147, verse 4. He determines the number of the stars. More than that, he calls them each by name. And the psalmist continues, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. What an understatement, if ever there was one. Is that the picture of God that you have this morning? Have you grasped even a small amount of who God really is? Because the Bible tells us over 150 times that godly people fear the Lord. They have a right respect and reverence for who he is. They stand in awe and wonder of their creator. And I wonder, do you fear the Lord this morning? The one who has created you. Because this psalm says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Happy is everyone who has bowed their knee before their creator and their redeemer. And the psalmist says, we bow our knee and we show that we have a right respect and reverence and fear of the Lord by walking in his ways. Look at verse one. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. A right attitude to God leads to right actions in your life. Walking in God's ways begins with worshiping God in our hearts. Because Jesus said something similar in John 14, verse 21. This is what he said. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and show myself to him. See, we walk in God's ways when we have this big picture of him. When we recognize who God is and what God has done for each one of us through Jesus Christ, his son. And we see that God is the one who is at the center of the universe and ought to be at the center of my life. Here's how one commentator puts it. And I think it's, it's so easily forgotten, so easy to not have a view of God like this. God must be taken seriously. He must not be trifled with. He must be as he actually is, the center of everything we are, think, or aspire to do. He must be our starting point for every project, the strength we seek for every valuable endeavor, the one we earnestly desire to please and honor as our goal. And it makes sense, doesn't it? If we have that fear of the Lord, if we believe that God is who he is, then we will honor him we will worship him by walking in his ways. We won't do it because we have to do it. We'll do it because we want to do it. We want to praise him with all of our lives. A big view of God, a true and proper understanding of who he is leads to big service of him, leads to laying down our whole lives for him. Jesus will be right at the center of who we are, all that we do. His worship will be our first priority. We'll be committed to the church. We'll be living our lives trying to love our neighbors, forgiving grievances, doing all we can to resist sin in our lives because we fear the Lord and we want to walk in his ways. And the psalm says that person 
That person who's fearing the Lord and walking in his ways is truly happy in life, truly blessed in life. But what does this blessing look like? Well, the psalmist goes on to actually ground this idea of God's blessing in three creation ordinances to show us where blessing is experienced in life, where blessing is experienced, to paint a picture of what God's blessing actually looks like for us. And these are three things which are built into the fabric of the world as God originally set it up in the beginning. The three things are work, family, and church. Work, family, and church. And it's important to notice the progression here as we go through this psalm. Because the psalm begins by an individual. The blessing begins by an individual fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. It's like a pebble being thrown into a pond. There's a central point where the blessing begins and then it radiates out. Like the circles that that come out, that radiate outwards from that pebble being dropped in the middle of the pond. And the circles increase in size and they increase in scope as they move out from the center. That's what it's like. And it's important to remember that because it's a reminder of our own personal holiness. It's a reminder that this psalm says prioritizing our own personal holiness and and fearing the Lord in our our own lives is what is the key to a happy and blessed life. True happiness is not found in our material possessions, not found in our circumstances or even our relationships with other people. It's not found in how others treat us or what others think of us. All these things that the Oxford happiness test and the world tells us that true happiness and fulfillment is found in life in those things. No. Psalm 128 says true happiness and contentment and fulfillment in life is from being in right relationship with the Lord. Fearing him and walking in his ways. But what does it look like? Well, let's look at verse two in work. Because it says blessed is Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways and will be blessed eating the fruits of our hands' labor. Blessing is experienced in a happy work life. It's not a promise that we'll be rich or wealthy because of our work. That's not the blessing. The blessing is that we will find our fulfillment in the work that God has given us to do. We recognize that in our work, God provides for our needs. He gives us what we need. You see, God created us to work. It's inbuilt in us. It was part of his creation mandate in the beginning. In Genesis chapter two, we see this, when God commands Adam to work the garden. And work in the beginning, it was a joy. Work was not something that was given to us as a punishment by God in the fall. It existed before the fall. And so the picture that we get here in Psalm 128 is of the blessing of work being restored by God for his people. Eating the fruits of our hands' labor means being happy and content with what God has blessed us with in our work. You might have a little, you might have a lot, but it doesn't matter. The point is this, you will be content and satisfied with what you have. And verse two goes on to say that, You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. The reason it will be well with you, the reason you'll be content is because the things which are most important to you in life, the things which give you most security, which matter most to you, 
they are absolutely sure and certain. Nothing can take them away because if you fear the Lord, if you're in right relationship with him, if you worship and revere him, then nothing will ever take that away. You'll never lose what you have with him. But if you start tying your happiness and your contentment to other things in life, well, they're just fleeting. They're there one moment and then they're gone the next. Nothing else lasts. Our relationship with the Lord is what lasts. You'll be blessed in your labor, but how does that actually play out in our work? Well, fear the Lord and walking in his ways in our work, then it means that we'll enjoy our achievements, whether little or great, because we're doing them all for the Lord. We're not doing them to be seen by anyone else. We're not doing them for our boss. We're not doing them for a promotion or for the money. If you live for the praise and for the adulation of other people, then you're going to be a very disappointed and unfulfilled person in life. But live for God. Live fearing him. Live in right relationship with, in right, right relationship with him and you won't be in despair. The psalm doesn't say that there won't be frustrations and setbacks and disappointments along the way. It isn't saying that we will have an easy life, but it does promise a happy life. It promises us that if we are resting in God's sovereign purposes, if we trust in a God who is in complete control of all things, then we will know that God's ultimate plan for our lives is one which is good, one which is for our best, one which he will bring through in the end for our good. Here's what it says in, in Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24 about the way that we work having a mindset like this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ your servant, the Lord Jesus Christ your servant. What a challenge for us in our work life to be happy, to be content in life, in our work, then we fear the Lord and walk in his ways in all that we do, in every sphere of life, eating the fruits of our hands labor and it will be well with us and we will be blessed by God. That's what the Psalm says is the general rule for life. That's the wisdom that it's important to us this morning. And blessing isn't just experienced in our work, but then it goes on to say that blessing is experienced in our family life as well. Look at verse three. We have this picture of a happy family life, an idealistic picture in many ways. And it says your wife is like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive shoots around your table. We've two different plants here used in the imagery, the vine and the olive. And they're both symbols in Israel of rich blessing, of joyful contentment. And in marriage, this is what it says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. And the vine represents loads of things in the Bible. Peace, beauty, sexual attractiveness. It's a source of joy. It enhances and enriches our life. And the Bible says, this Psalm says, that blessing comes to the man who fears the Lord and walks in his ways, and he will have a good wife. And the reverse is true as well. You'll have a good husband for the wife. 
It doesn't mean that our marriages won't be hard at times. It doesn't mean like it was in our work that there won't be setbacks, that we won't have disagreements at times. It doesn't mean that our wives will be perfect, even though I do have one. But, but as a general rule, remember it's a wisdom psalm, it says that if we fear the Lord and if we walk in his ways, then we will be blessed by having a happy marriage. This is God's blueprint for marriage. And the challenge here is for us to go away, if we're married, to go away and to analyze and to assess our marriages. Are we walking in God's ways in our marriage? Husband and wife, individually are we walking in God's ways, fearing him? Collectively too, fearing the Lord and doing all we can to trust in him and obey what he has set out for us to do in our lives, the way he calls us to live. Are we living a marriage of self-sacrificial love? One where the husband puts the wife above themselves. One where the prevailing atmosphere is, is one of forgiveness and faithfulness. Are we being a husband who loves our wives the way Christ loves the church? Are we a wife who seeks to help and support our husband in every possible way that we can? Joyfully submitting to him, trusting him to lead and to care for us, walking in God's ways in our marriage. That's what brings true happiness. That's what the general rule is in this psalm. And the emphasis again, remember I said it, falls on the individual. It starts with us, ourselves, fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. And then the blessings radiate out from that. But that's where the blessing begins. And so, if your marriage isn't all that it should be, don't look to the other person, look to yourself. Ask yourself, am I being the husband or am I being the wife that God calls me to be? Remember, this is wisdom literature. This isn't guaranteed, but this psalm suggests that if we follow God's blueprint for marriage, if we fear the Lord and if we walk in his ways, then we will have a happy and blessed married life. And look at the second place in the family where blessing is experienced. It's with our children. The images of olive shoots around the table. That's the picture that we get. Mature, established olive tree with young shoots springing up around the table. And this was a common sight in Israel. And whenever you saw an olive shoot, it represented youth, energy. But most of all, it represented promise. And when you sit down at your table and you're eating with your children there around your table, there's a reminder of the hope and the promise of your future. Psalm 144 verse 12 says something similar to this. These are beautiful words. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Olive trees were such a valuable commodity back in the ancient world, and they required careful cultivation. It took time to actually cultivate these. It could take up to 40 years, in fact. But then once they had produced fruit, they continued to do that year after year. They were fruitful from then on. Great reward for the one who invested time in cultivating that olive tree. And for parents who fear the Lord and walk in his ways, here's the blessing 
which God gives. Children who will grow up to be God-fearing men and women who will be fruitful in the world for the Lord. That's the promise that God gives here. It's great for our children to be successful in their sport, to be academically successful, to flourish socially. But more than anything else is our hope, is our joy, is our prayer for our children. Not just our children in our own family, but the children in the family of this church is our prayer that they grow to be spiritually fruitful in life. Children who grow up to fear the Lord and walk in his ways experience the happiness and contentment of knowing Jesus Christ for themselves. Is that our prayer? It's not to say that children won't go off the rails, even having been brought up in a godly home. Remember, this is wisdom literature. This is the general rule, but there are exceptions to that. We live in a fallen and broken world. But the general rule is that if we're parents who are fearing the Lord and walking in in, in his ways and living that out in our household, teaching those ways to our children, then God says we'll be blessed with a happy family life. See, it's crucial we don't just teach our children about Jesus Christ, but it's crucial that we live it out for them as well. We show them by our actions what it looks like to live for Jesus. This is the most valuable thing that we can do for our children. Be a parent who recognizes who Jesus Christ is, that he has a central place in our lives, and we live according to that. And our children will see that in our lives. And the final part of this psalm is a prayer of blessing for those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways, where we see God's blessing experienced in the church It extends out in verse five and six. Look at it with me. This is what it says. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Here's where the scope of this psalm broadens at the end. It's not just about one family anymore. One man and his wife and his children. The picture is of God's prosperity and blessing extending to the entire people of God, to the church, the family of believers. And that's what Jerusalem stood for. Because if you want to see the blessing of God on the people of God, look at Jerusalem. This is what the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, two books in the Old Testament, are all about. They're rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. Why are they doing that? Because they want the blessing of God to be restored to the people of God. And as a result of that, they want God's blessing to extend out to the nation. They want the nations all around them to see the character of God being displayed. And so the picture of Psalm 128 is of a man who's blessed in his home and his wife and his children being blessed in such a way that it builds up the community of believers within God's church. And it displays God's character to the world around, to the nation around, through the church. Isn't that what our city needs from the church? Isn't this what it needs from us as a group of believers in Belfast? God's character being displayed through us in this street, in Belfast, in South Belfast. That is what this city needs more than anything else. To see God 
through believers like us. To feel God's blessing through the blessing that we experience in this church. See, this psalm tells us that our blessing as a church is incomplete. Our blessing as individuals is incomplete until it is experienced by the whole family of believers. But also until it's a blessing which extends out to the nations. And do we pray to that end? Do we pray for God to bless our church, but for God to bless our church so that we can be a blessing to this city, so that we can be a blessing to this nation? Is our prayer that we would be men and women, families who are living lives, fearing the Lord, walking in his ways, not just for the sake of our family alone, not just for the sake of our church here, but for the sake of our nation out there as well. And what a blessing it would be for us as a church to see our children's children, to grow old in our church, to feel the blessing of being able to sit here as someone who sees not only our children being blessed by knowing the Lord, by knowing Jesus Christ in their lives, but also that blessing extending to our children's children. That's the prayer, that's the hope of this psalm. That's the hope for our church. And as we finish, here's the burning question I suppose this psalm poses to me as I was reading it, as I was preparing, going through it. What does this psalm mean for someone in our church who doesn't have an ideal family? For someone who isn't married, maybe. For someone who is a single parent. For those in our church who don't have any children at the moment. If you're not someone who is, you're not married at the moment, or if you're someone who's single, is this psalm for me? That's maybe the question that you're asking this morning. Because of the circumstances that I'm in, does that mean that I somehow don't receive God's blessing? That this blessing isn't for me, that I can't be someone who is truly happy and content with life? Well, the answer is no. No. Because this is the beauty of the Psalms of Ascent. They're not just about journeying to Jerusalem, journeying to be with the Lord, but they're, they're journeying to God's heart as well. To what God has intended and planned life to be. The way he always planned life to be. But more importantly than that, the way God promises life will one day be. Because in holding up this ideal family, This psalm points us to look beyond the brokenness, the fragile nature of our own families here on earth. To lift our eyes to the beauty and the perfection that God promises that his family will one day be in heaven. Because none of us have a perfect family here on earth. None of us ever will. But through Jesus Christ, we can all experience the blessing of an ideal family, a perfect family, one day in heaven. That's what this psalm calls us to do. In our church, to look at our church and to see the blessing that God gives us, having brothers and sisters in Christ who are there to support us, who are there with us to share the blessing of their life and to, for our life to be a blessing alongside them as well. That's what God has given us. 
That's why he has given us his church. But remember, it's a blessing that is incomplete until it extends outside to the nation around us as well. Until we live lives that bring the truth about Jesus Christ, who share the knowledge of where true happiness is found in life with those around us in our city. This psalm is a picture of the blessing that is to come in all of its fullness through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed are all who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. That's where true happiness and contentment is found in life. And all who are in Jesus Christ this morning, we live with that hope that one day we will know true and lasting and perfect happiness and contentment when we go to be with him in glory. That's the promise that we cling to today. What a beautiful psalm. What a beautiful promise. And as we come to the table now, it's a reminder of that promise. It's a reminder of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, giving his son for us to come to this earth to die for us, for his body being broken for us, his blood being shed for us. Why? So that we can know God's blessing in life so that we can know what it means to have that right relationship with him again. Every week we come and we do this. And every week it's a reminder that God has blessed us immeasurably, richly, through what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Come this morning. Come and thank him. Worship him, praise him for what he has given And if you're someone who hasn't yet put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you're someone who's still thinking through what life looks like with Jesus, whether trusting in Jesus is something that you in your life are willing to do, then leave this this morning. And I would encourage you to accept Jesus this morning, to put your trust in him, to know where true happiness is found in life all in Jesus Christ, all through the life that he offers to us. Let me pray for us and then we're going to sing. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful reminder this morning of what it looks like to live a life where we fear you. We have a right and proper understanding and view of you in our lives. And with that, Lord, then that we live walking in your ways, knowing that they are the best way for us to live. That the ways that you've set out in creation, Lord, were the way that you'd always wanted to bless us, to know true happiness in life. Lord, and we're sorry that we as as sinful people, we have turned away from you. We think that we know better, that we know where to find true happiness and blessing in life. For Lord, forgive us for that this morning. And Lord, thank you that as we come to the table, we know and and we can reflect on how you have offered that forgiveness to us through your son, Jesus Christ, through his body being broken for us, through his blood shed for us. We can be washed clean, Lord, of our sinfulness. We can know true happiness and blessing in life now, but Lord, one day perfectly in heaven with you forever, in glory 
because of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that this morning. We thank you for the picture of this psalm, Lord, and we pray that we would be people who live our lives fearing you and walking in your ways so that we will know your blessing, but so that we can be a blessing to this church and so that this church is a blessing to this nation and to this city here in Belfast. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.